Hello and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. The waters in the mortgage industry can be pretty muddy. Whether it's investing, leasing, renting, home insurance, or myths and misconceptions, Welcome Home Radio has the answers for you, the consumer. And now, to help you make the right home buying decision for you and your family, here are your hosts. And welcome to Welcome Home Radio, where real estate, lending, and learning come together. We are back for 2022. And it is February 23rd, 2022. Changes are that we will not be doing live, but these are video podcasts. And you can all find them at welcomehomeradio.net. Again, welcomehomeradio.net. All of our past shows are there or links to them on our Facebook page or YouTube. But these are podcasts. But please place your questions. We love questions. And we will try to answer them in the next show. With our last show, we discussed where inflation is impacting many things and that the real estate market is a good investment, but rates are going up. And to get the best rates required, as well as to get access to the great programs that are out there, there are some very key items that you need to be able to have. You know, insurance premiums are on based on credit score, interest rates, loan programs. So we want to thank our annual sponsor, White and Jacobs and Associate joining us today. Nathan, so glad to have you here today. Hello, Blair. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We're so blessed. I mean, I have been working with White and Jacobs for over seven years. They are such a blessing with my clients and how they work. Please contact Nathan if you have any questions or find him on our website. Again, welcomehomeradio.net. Hey, guys, want to talk about credit and since loan programs, interest rates, premiums on insurance. I share a lot of good and bad news with clients because some people are able to get there. Some people are not, but we want to face some of these things. And I I have totally forgotten to welcome my wonderful co-host, Tom. How are you today? Thank you for seeing you, Tommy. Good Good to to see see you today too. (laughs) And, and Alan, great to see you, sir. How are y'all doing? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, guys, I want to get into this because it is a challenging thing. One of the things that, you know, Alan sends me a client, he doesn't want to take time until he knows they're pre-approved to to, to spend money, to spend gas that's costly, uh, spend a lot of time with somebody until we know that they can do it. And one of the first things they have to allow me to do is pull credit. And that's called a hard pull. Now, Nathan, help our audience understand what's the difference between a soft and a hard pull. Well, if you're applying for financing with any number of banks or companies, they're going to do a hard pull. Um, A soft pull would be if they're trying to access the information for other purposes, whether that's an existing relationship or it's something minor like trying to do a rental car or something. Those are soft pulls. But if you're trying to get approved for financing, uh, whether that's credit card, auto loan, mortgage, that's all going to be a hard pull, which affects your score in a negative way. And how much does that really impact? It's insignificant if it's just one or two. I mean, we're talking maybe two points uh, per bureau that's pulled. Um, but if somebody gets in a position where they are constantly having new inquiries for various types of finance uh, decisions, they're going to have a negative impact because those add up. 
I love the way you put that. You're very political, various things. I just, I'm going to put it out there. Guys, if your credit's stolen and somebody's trying to, you know, establish car loans, anything in your name, or you're just trying to find out a way to do certain things, if you do car auto loans, if you do home loans, if you do revolving credit multiple types, it's going to hit your credit harder and come down because that is to, to treat for stolen identity theft. And so they want to keep those things from happening. Now, one of the things that you talked about, soft pull, I want to make sure our listening audience, and most people don't know this, but when you sign a contract, an employment con contract with a company, you have given them the right to look at your credit. Now, that's a soft pull. Now, if you're owning a business and you're thinking about increasing requirements or increasing somebody in a job title, let's say to a managerial position, and they're going to help run your money, spend your money, you want to make sure they know how to do it. And they do a soft pull. And it's very hard for them to get that promotion. This is where the glass ceiling comes into play. But people don't understand. They're looking at home financing. How are you handling your own money? That's how you're going to handle my money. You're going to treat it like that. So understanding that that is happening. But Nathan, I do want to ask you, what is the biggest issue facing people today when credit is pulled? From your vantage point, what is the number one issue that people struggle with in getting good credit? I would say most of the time, people have some kind of a credit profile. You will come across those that have very little credit or no credit. Um, that's something that can be resolved. But most of the time when people come to me, they've got a lot of credit. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but the bad is outweighing the good and their scores are much lower than they would have expected based on their income, based on their payment history over the last six months. They don't realize how things from a year, two years, four years ago that happened where there were charged off accounts, late payment accounts, et cetera, those things still impact them quite a bit today. Well, I have three things that I know that I face and see. And Tom, Alan, jump in here when you when you have something, please. Uh, I got a quick question for Nathan, really, before we yeah. leave that. You said two points, you know, if you're a 780, 805 credit score and you, you duck in to buy something on credit, it's a two-point hit. If you're a 655, a 675, a 700, and you duck in, is it still a two-point hit or is it more of a hit for a lower-ranked credit person? Well, just like it is for negative accounts, the more inquiries you have, the less each one is going to impact you in the future. So if you've already got 50 inquiries and you get 52, that's not anywhere near to as impactful as somebody that has no inquiries in the last 12 months and then gets one. So it's actually going to be a bigger problem for somebody that has no inquiries to get a new one versus somebody that does it all the time. That person has higher credit, of course, but the impact of each additional is less and less the more you have. I want to correct something or make sure, Nathan, I want to make sure that I understand. If I'm pulling credit, I'm shopping home mortgages, just for example. I can shop home mortgages and within a 30 day period, it only affects me one time. And, yeah. and, and if, I, if I shop, you know, 10 people, it's only affecting me that one pull, all the other pulls are not affecting me at all. Yeah. If you look at a credit report, you'll see all the inquiries that are hard inquiries for the last two years. However, those that are in a certain category, whether it's mortgage, auto, bank card, et cetera, 
those category, you can do multiple polls within a period that you're discussing and it not affect you like an additional new inquiry. So it's not the case that when your lender pulls credit and then pulls your credit again at closing within that time period, that it's going to be an additional effect like the first one was. But if you're doing this every month for a year, you are going to see some additional negative effect because those are stretched out over a longer period of time. It's generally within a 30 day period that I can do these and they will not impact me. So I wanted to make sure everybody understood that. Can the I ask one quick question? Yes, sir. Uh, Nathan, how mm -hmm. does it know when you're looking for a car, if you go to Bank of America, Toyota Motor and your local credit union that you're looking for a car, that being three separate ID inquiries mm -hmm. versus one for a car, as you just mentioned. Yeah, they, each inquiry has a category on the report of what it was for, right? Whether that's mortgage, auto, et cetera. So they're required when they put that in to put it under a certain okay. category. Now, whether they did that properly or whether That's, some credit union maybe put it all together as something yeah. else. Yeah, it's possible you could get hit and not really should, or that shouldn't have been the case, but it's kind of up to them to okay. do that. And at that okay. Point, that and therein work. lies why you need to monitor your credit score. Yeah, there's I always agree. some inaccuracies with these things. So that's important to check on a regular basis. Well, let's let's discuss something else, Tom. You kind of opened up. Oh, you changed your name. Isn't that sweet, Tommy? <laughs> oh, Tommy. Um, let's Tommy boy. Let's uh, let's make sure people understand something. There is how many algorithms out there on credit scores? How many different types of credit algorithms run to get points or to score? when somebody put, does a hard pull, Nathan? Well, just FICO, which is the main scoring model, there's at least 13 different algorithms. So we have 13 different algorithms, whether you're pulling auto purchase, uh, insurance premium, personal insurance, credit card. Home Depot. Home Depot. Home, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's revolving debt. So again those types of things you have 13 different algorithms and they're supposed to be like you said when they're pulled they're annotated as that type of algorithm mm -hmm. so uh good questions tom but i want to cover three key things that i see as a huge impact to people not getting approved for a mortgage right off the bat the biggest one that I am challenged with uh, right now because cost of education has gone up is those pesky educational loans. People have been given educational loans so easily, so quickly, co-signed on uh, by parents or someone else, and yet educational, oh, well, they're in deferment. Tom, they're in deferment. Why, why are they impacting me? I'm not paying on them right now. Why do we have to worry about them? Because I'm not paying on them. They're not affected for two years. That was a question, Tom. You're asking me? I thought you'd be asking Nathan. <laughs> no, then. I'm asking you why. <laughs> why does Fannie and Freddie require us to have that liability impacting their calculations for DPI? Fannie and Freddie put it in the mix in the algorithm so as to say, uh, because we, they know we have to pay them. And those are typically government-sponsored loans as well. So those two factors really play into when we're trying to discern 
what your ratios, your debt to income, your DTI is going to be, uh, that has to be taken into consideration. Okay, I got to stop you. Your I'm sorry. ability to repay. I'm sorry. I got to stop you. We've said it. I, I didn't do it last show. You've said DTI a couple of times. What makes up DTI so our listening audience understands it, please? Debt to income? Debt to income is comprised of a simple formula. I wish I had my whiteboard here because this is what I do with my students is I switch to a whiteboard real quick. He's not ready. He's not ready. But I've got my paper here. So let me look, show no, you. I, I can't quickly. see it. I... <laughs> <laughs> what the lenders look at are two numbers. One, how much your house payment will be in relationship to your gross income. And your house payment is my, comprised of my favorite Hawaiian word, pity me hoa. <laughs> and I, I'm going to Hawaii here pretty soon. So pity me hoa, aloha, pity me hoa, principal interest, taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance, and HOA cost on a monthly basis to your monthly income is your front ratio. So when we talk about debt to income, how much that potential payment will be in relationship to your income and Fannie Mae and FHA and VA all look at it a little bit differently. Second ratio, your back ratio is your pity me hoa, your principal interest taxes, insurance, mortgage insurance, plus what is considered reoccurring debt. Now that's not everything necessarily on your, uh, uh, your credit report, but it weighs heavily on what's on your credit report revolving accounts, installment accounts, one-time accounts, and mortgage accounts are the four different categories we look at with regards to those different debts. But what you contractually obligate yourself to repay, such as child support, that's not on your credit report, but it is something you better pay or otherwise it will get on your credit report and we can't give you a loan. So again, Fannie and Freddie, these people that buy these loans from us in the secondary market require that those things be taken into consideration. So now, Nathan, you've got somebody with, I mean, in fact, I just gave you somebody recently. Yeah. 15 educational loans, 15 different. Both parties had them. Wow. How did we work around that? Because if you take in, we're required, I believe, and Tom, correct me here, at minimum 1%. I think they changed it to a half a percent, but we have to adjust that liability to a monthly rate that comes in. And we're able, you know, sometimes we're not able to take that all in. How does that work for a customer and how can you help them work through this so that we can get them approved or not as impactful to their liability or that DTI? Yeah, because this is a scenario where there hasn't been late payment history. There's nothing negative on the account. It's just a significant amount that it's showing owed. And because of deferment, it's showing the monthly payments are, are not on there. So you've got to calculate it in, in the manner that you discuss. So what I typically do in that scenario is just have them go through uh, direct consolidation of these accounts through the federal government. They then apply for income-based repayment or pay as you earn so that the monthly amount that's listed for payments moving forward is as low as possible. And there's some other benefits to them as well, but mostly that's going to make it look on the credit report like the amount they're having to pay out on these accounts is fairly low month to month 
uh, when it's factoring into the debt to income calculation. That is so true because uh, this was a six digit uh, educational loan uh, and scenario. So in fact, Nathan, they just signed a contract. So we're in contract with them. But again, educational loans can be a huge impact. How you can go around or work that one, you mentioned consolidation. If you go through, there are ways that people think they consolidate. Talk to us about this. And they're really not consolidating. All they're doing is paying a minimum and somebody's pocketing money and it doesn't change the credit report to be beneficial. Help us understand that there's two different types of scenarios that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. You you might be reached uh, reached over the phone or by email or you may reach out to somebody yourself that's going to help you consolidate these loans. But if there's a third party involved that's not a loan servicer and not the federal government, what they're doing is taking a percentage of what you're paying to help you consolidate. Now, there's a couple ways they can do that. They can do that still in the manner that I discussed that would still benefit you, but they can also do it in a manner where you're just making payments to them. And instead of consolidating the accounts, they're just doing some kind of a, a, a payment arrangement with those same existing loans, which doesn't really solve the problem that we just mentioned. They also could be in a position where they're affecting you in some way negatively through the consolidation. There may be a period where there's late payments on an account when they're trying to go through that consolidation process for you and it affects you in a negative way credit wise. They also may consolidate only some, but not not all the accounts. If you're going through this consolidation process, you should want to include every single account that qualifies into the same loan so that you have a minimum number of accounts there with payments. So there's not really a reason to have a third party do this for you if you're in a status that we discussed. Um, and even if you're in a default status, there's still ways that the, the studentloan.gov can help you without you having to pay a third party. So I typically try to help those people by giving them access to the channels that are the government authorities and the um, you know direct contact with studentloan.gov so that they can go through a consolidation that doesn't cost any additional money and can be resolved in a pretty quick period of time. So again, even though these are there, they, we can be helpful, but they do impact our ability to repay and or receive a pre-approval on a mortgage. Next, I want to go over something that I think people, they don't understand. I didn't understand going through bankruptcy. And, and when I was coming out of it, I finally did. But it's revolving debt and how it's, it impacts. You can pay, and it's amazing the the revolving debt companies out there that they always say, here's your minimum payment. And that minimum payment always makes sure there's some finance money to be left over. Well, uh, it, it, it's amazing to me to see how many credit cards people have and how many of them are maxed out. Now you can pay on them on time, not have a negative impact on your credit score, but yet it can still negatively impact your score in the algorithm Am I correct here, Nathan? Oh, yeah. They they have made it, um, or it's always been the case with mortgage scores, that your balance to limit ratio on your revolving accounts is a significant part of what comprises that score. So, again, I'm going to I'm gonna try to cover it very quickly in a basic area. If you have a credit card, let's say it's 1000 you owe 750 it's reported that way. Even though you've never been late, that's still negatively impacting you because they turn that into a ratio 
zero to 30% roughly is good use of credit. 30 to 50 is neutral, not negative, not positive, but anything over 50.01% is negatively impacting your credit score. And people, whether you go to, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, um, Amazon, all of these sorts, if you're paying minimums and you have a maxed out card or anything over that limit, that's going to negatively impact your scores. Now, there's two ways to attack this. One, of course, you can pay down the card. Now, some people do and do not have that ability. But what is the second way? Alan, do you, can you think of a second way that somebody can attack that ratio and make it better for themselves? Uh, possibly increasing the limit. Increasing the limit. Asking for an increase. It's very basic. They all The worst thing they can do is say no. I mean, they're not going to give Tommy any. They may give Tom an increase in credit, but not Tommy. But here's how you can increase and impact that ratio to be positive for you, or at least neutral. But so many people don't understand. Is that, are you seeing the same thing, Nathan, in all the credit bureaus you get to look at and work with? Is this a key issue out there? Yeah, a lot of times it's the most significant issue because people aren't aware about how significant the impact would be. I mean, if you have a maxed out credit card, that can be just as bad uh, in the short term on your credit scores as having a late payment. Obviously, it's something that can be resolved, but um, nobody's going to have great credit scores if all their accounts are maxed out. And so what they're looking at is the overall balance to limit ratio on all their revolving accounts. And then secondarily, they look at the individual account balance to limit ratio. So if you want to maximize your scores, you have to show on the dates these are reporting, which is typically once per month, show a balance to limit ratio on every single one of these accounts below 30%, um, ideally, or at least below 50%, if you want to see the highest score that you can you can get in that short period of time. Is it I have, a quick, yeah, I have, I have a quick question for Nathan. Um, I run into this on the street a lot, you know, being the realtor on the street, I'm that guy. Um, I don't have any credit. How do I establish credit? What's the best way to do it? Um, we're talking about people that had credit that got into trouble and don't have credit. And then they have to, you know, we refer them to you as I've yeah. done and Blair's done. Yeah. But to avoid you, what what's good advice for that, that person listening that goes, I want to do it right. I know people make mistakes. My parents made mistakes. My uncle, I don't want to make that mistake. Where would you start as a person who, um, totally restores credit. Yeah. How would you give advice to those people? The, there are accounts, regardless of where you start out, there are account, accounts that you can get approved for to begin to build your credit, both revolving and installment accounts that don't add debt to your credit report that allow you to begin to establish. It's always going to be the case that if you mismanage these accounts, you're going to have bad credit. Right. And if you don't have accounts, you're going to have bad credit too. So at a certain point, you've got to be responsible enough to open these new accounts that you can get approved for, which are small credit cards. They may even be secured credit cards, but it's something that you can get on your credit report now to start building credit. And if you manage those appropriately, which is you know, what I would advise you to do, make purchases, keep the balances low, pay the balances down, et cetera, on a monthly basis, you will begin to build credit fairly quickly. But if you start to mismanage those accounts, you'll be right back where you started or worse. So you have to be in a position to not only get access to those accounts, I can help you with those, 
There's websites that you can go to to get, you know, credit cards for people with bad or no credit. And then just make sure that you're doing what you need to do as far as payments and keeping the balances low. Hey, I want to take a break real quick here. We're, we're having a great conversation. We'll come back to it real quick. But I do, we do have another sponsor we want to bring up that, again, signed on. An annual sponsor is Prestige Home Inspections. Mike Majeski is the owner. And home inspections are always needed, Alan. Aren't they always? I mean, they're not required, but they are, I think, an invaluable tool. What does that mean to a buyer in doing a home inspection? Oh, it's so important. And Mike does a great job. He just did one for me three days ago. And um, it, it peace of mind. And what a what a buyer needs is good advice on on who can give that to me. And, and realtors recommend. You know, we give several recommendations. We're not allowed to tell you to use this certain guy, but we give recommendations. And I can tell you, Mike's outstanding. He's good with people. He understands houses. He knows how to communicate things, whether it be an old house with lots of issues or that new house that shouldn't have any, but it has one. So <laughs> he he really does a great job. A good family man. Um, I can't say not, nothing just but good stuff about Mike. He's a great golfer, too, and he also helped me with my bobblehead. So, Oh, there is one negative. He does like the <laughs> Cleveland Browns. He likes the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, well, well I, I wonder if he was rooting for Cincinnati. Yeah, I was. So, hey, <laughs> back to revolving debt. One of the things I want to bring up about revolving debt, and I've heard it from so many people. Well, I thought it was good for me to leave a portion on there. Why would anybody not pay off a credit card 100% unless they just don't have the finances? Why? I mean, do you never tell anybody to leave? It's it's better to have a zero card than it is to have $5 or 5% or that. Is that correct? Yeah, there's, there's not a reason why you wouldn't need to pay it down. Now, if you have... 5% on a card, it's not going to make that much of a difference. But for just the purposes of managing these things properly, it's certainly fine and maybe even advised to pay it all the way down and then use it again. You do want to have some activity because you don't want them to go inactive or to close, but you don't need to carry a balance over month to month to still get the same benefit. Okay. I just wanted to make sure people understood that because I'm hearing, I hear so many different stories and, and people in the past, oh, I pay one credit card with another credit card, and it's just a finance game. I got to tell you, it's playing Russian roulette with your with your finances and your credit scores. And if you're wanting to make it to purchasing a home, uh, I, I think we need to stop the games. And that's what I'm hoping we're sharing here. Now, the third area that I see as impacting so many people, and I understand it, and I don't understand why the medical industry cannot clean up uh you know you, i go and talk about a procedure and i'm going i want to know how much that's going to cost me and they don't they're not able to tell me and what end up, ends up happening the, the insurance company has paid what they said they would pay but all of a sudden there's a bill that comes in later and a bill comes in and then it's not taken care of you're saying it should be taken care of by insurance and it goes into collections medical collections do not impact a mortgage buyer, we we take away that liability in the sense of the debt to income ratio, but we do not take away the impact of the credit score. 
I am not surprised to see three, four, five, six medical collections on somebody's report, but it's because of the ignorance of what happens and the way the medical industry does their billing on procedures, especially in an emergency room procedure. You could have things coming in 90 days later. How does somebody deal with these situations? They don't know they're there and ignoring them just hurts them even more. How does somebody work through that, Nathan, and, and what can they be doing best about that? Yeah, it can get fairly confusing, as you state, because you've got a lot of different pieces where payments are expected. You know, there's a lab, there's a hospital, there's a doctor, et cetera. Plus, you've got um, possibly not a lot of information being provided to the individual because these things may be mailed after the fact or they may be mailed, you know, not at all or to the wrong address. Um, so a lot of times, I would say most of the time when somebody has some medical stuff on the report, they're not fully aware of what, what this was or why the balance is what it is. And so you can go in and pay all these accounts off, and that's not necessarily going to give you the benefit that you would expect, which is everything's deleted. There are many times I'll go see paid medical collections on somebody's credit report, and the problem is the fact that the collection exists means the negative credit effect is still there. And so a lot of times when I'm working with clients, I will have them um, decide if they're going to make payments on these accounts or pay them off. But prior to that, I'm going to have them removed. Um, because when we go in and audit these because of HIPAA laws, most of the time we're going to be successful fairly quickly. And then once they're off the credit report and not affecting the mortgage um, you know, opportunities, then they can go in and make payments or settlements so they don't have any outstanding debt. But it's very is, confusing for a lot what, of individuals. What is the term called when you negotiate? It's called a paid delete. Is that correct? Delete. Yeah. And most of the time, medical collection companies are willing to do that. And paid delete means what? It means you're making a previous arrangement with this collection company. And it's almost always a collection company if it's on the credit report to work out a settlement or a payment in full with the understanding in a written form that they're going to remove this account with the credit bureaus once it's paid or settled. So understand, and listeners, I'm going to put it in street terms. Paid delete means I get it in writing that they'll delete it, then I pay it. Don't pay it and expecting somebody to send you something later. These are hourly paid employees. They will, they'll promise you the world just to get that payment. They're, they're paid on how they do their collections. And a factoring company who buys these from the medical industry regularly. Oh my goodness. I, I just can't tell you how many people have paid off debt, but yet it's not deleted and it still impacts their scores later on. So again, we've gone over educational loans and what can be done revolving debt and how you should look at these and how you hopefully live within your means. And finally, medical collections. These sometimes are unavoidable, but Nathan can help you go across. Tom, what what do you see the importance in the credit going forward, especially in 2022, about rates, about loan programs, and why credit is an evaluation point, data point that a, a buyer needs to be aware of? Well, I think I have two things to answer with that. One, uh, you know, credit scoring has always been a measure as to the capacity or ability of somebody to repay and specifically 
the residential mortgage credit report, the RMCR, we call it a tri-merge that reflects all three bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. That report, the algorithm that's established for us on an RMCR does pretty much accurately depict the probability of default, which is a big thing that a big thing that credit score does in our world. But more to your point, as far as what to see into the future, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, FHA are all now really going towards the credit score in order to price a loan. And I see that scrutiny increasing maybe even more than it has already in order to tell you that if you've got a 750 credit score, your rate's going to be a heck of a lot different than a 650 credit score. And so it becomes really super important. And maybe Nathan knows, uh, I know the national average, I believe, for credit scorings in the 700s. And But Texas, we're like in the 660 world or something like that. We're demonstrably lower than the rest of the United States. And I think that issue needs to be addressed here in Texas because there's not a real good methodology in our school systems and our colleges anywhere to actually indicate to people what the um, significance of a credit score can mean in their lifetime, uh, all the way from getting car insurance to getting home insurance to getting a job. The, the, they rely so much on credit scoring. And we go back all the way to, you know, Fair Credit Reporting Act in the 1970s. And then the fact in 2000, amending it, uh, Congress has still said this is important. Why don't we pay more attention to that? I mean, if there are a couple of huge regulations out there, we we would need to know more about the impact that credit scoring is going to have on us. And maybe Nathan can address. I'm not sure if you know the national averages. I just know. 7-Eleven was the average credit score in 2021, and it broke the record. So I know it was in the 700s, but I know Texas is very nice in the 650, 660 range as far as our average credit score in Texas. And people asked me when I was on a school board about, you know, why don't we teach more practicable classes about things like that? Well, home economics, we gave up on home <laughs> yeah. economics. And yeah. uh, it's it's a shame we have because unless that conversation has been carried on in your home, which my family, my two oldest sons and my youngest daughter, I can proudly say all of them have 740 credit scores or better. And I know that because we love to brag about our credit scores at Thanksgiving. <laughs> they keep track of it like I do. So, <laughs> Tommy. <laughs> well, that is a good question. What is the bell curve that you know here, Nathan? Uh, low 700s is the national average, very low 700s. It may be up to 711 now. Yeah, I just looked it up. Regionally, it varies quite a bit. Um, uh, for whatever reason, people in urban areas or people in remote areas have lower credit scores than the suburbs. So, you know, ultimately, those are things that... Um, affect everyone now. It's hard to get away with going through life and not ever worrying about your credit, although you certainly could. But most people are in a position where these are important 
and more important in different areas than it was previously. You mentioned jobs. You know, there's a lot of other places where they're pulling credit that they didn't previously pull. And the fact that it's, you know, so important to buying a house is why if you don't know what your credit score is, the first thing you should do is try to figure out where am I at? Why am I higher or lower than what I would have guessed? I'm going to date Nathan, myself. I, I, well, I have a question I've been wanting to ask you because, you know, we were talking about student debt and there's a lot of scams out there that come via text. Um, call us now to forgive your student loans. And, and then there's also the small business money out, you know, apply for a small business loan because of the things that have gone on. And the average people, you know, that watch TV or get their text. I think some people do that. Are you seeing any of that where people have actually gotten in trouble with the, you know, the text and it looks official and governmental and all that stuff? Yeah, well, there's certainly identity theft that's fairly rampant. I mean, I see that all I, the I time. I experienced that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very prevalent and you have to be careful. Um, it doesn't take much for somebody to have information available to them that they can use to open an account in your name, even get a, a social or a license that's supposed to be you, but it's got their picture on it. So that's I got that. a concern. Yeah, I remember we discussed that. So everyone Ooh. should be aware of those that those things are real and they do exist. And you've got to be very careful um, when you're providing information. Now, for my job and for your jobs, I have to get a lot of information from people. So there's certain, you know, you know secure ways to do that. Um, but at the same time, there's also things that are very predatory that are not technically illegal. You know, a lot of these loans that that people are being offered are rates that are either, you know, ridiculous to begin with, or they increase exponentially if you pass a certain period of time without paying them off. So, and that's the case for consolidation loans. That's the case for um, student uh, loans that are on, you know, on the secondary market. There's a lot of things out there you've got to be careful about. So as always read the fine print, but at the same time, you want to be very careful what you're actually going to move forward with, uh, with regards to new accounts or new ways to try to manage your credit. And I can tell you folks, you don't want to go through your identity getting stolen. That was Federal Trade Commission. You're talking about, it took me 10 days of not working on real estate at all. Just 10 days of solid calling institutions that had used me and they shouldn't have been. And it was brutal. And I can tell you, the FBI told me it's not if it's when I want to bring up something that I think people aren't aware of. And I wasn't when I was recovering from my bankruptcy and working on my own credit scores, Nathan, you mentioned the urban areas having lower scores. I think they do a lot of financing with local banks as well as auto loan dealers that they know and that sort of thing. And the bottom line is they only report their reporting systems are only maybe to one bureau where reporting to all three bureaus is a more positive impact to your score, where bank cards and bank dealings are dealt with all three, uh, you know, uh, Fingerhut only reports to one or two. This is something that they need to be educated on as well, is doing business with solid lenders that do report 100% to all three bureaus that, because you can have a bad situation get worse if somebody's not reporting everything possible that you're doing like this uh uh equifax is it no it's experience boost mm -hmm. they only report to experience mm -hmm. and they get a little boost 
but they don't understand why the other two scores aren't getting boosted as well. Well, understand that's only offered by one bureau to help you. You need to report to all three. Therefore, I highly recommend no retail cards, only bank cards. Uh, yes, uh, you know, that is a that is a shocker to some people. But a good retail card is going to be used by Citibank, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, that sort of thing. They're going to be backed by that, not by someone else that is not reporting. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the, the people that have very excellent credit, typically their credit scores are about the same wherever you look because they've got a lot of solid accounts with a lot of history at big banks, big credit cards. I'm not saying that you can't have a, you know, a small auto loan somewhere, but most of these things that are legitimate report to all three bureaus. And that information is going to be the kind of thing that's going to be consistently reported. Sometimes you'll see things that don't report every month, even though they're required to. So it's, it's important that you know who you're doing business with. And just because somebody's offering you terms that seem favorable initially, you've got to read the fine print because there's a lot of other things to consider when you're taking out a loan or a credit card or something like that. Sure. Well, guys, I just I want to bring up our final uh, sponsor for the day, uh, the the Ravencroft Group over in Arizona. Is that not correct, Alan? I, I Phoenix, believe. Arizona. Yeah, Phoenix, Arizona. Wonderful real estate real estate group. Appreciate their support tremendously. You can find them again at welcomehomeradio.net, uh, where they're at. And again, just like Alan, professional, knowledgeable, and really cares for their people and their clientele. So we want to thank them, look them up, find them on our website. Nathan, it's been a blessing to have you here. Thank you for taking time today. Thank you. This is an important issue for 2022 because we're not going to see 2.25 anymore. I mean, the reality (laughs) is you're not going to see that. No matter what your credit score is, those those rates you can't buy yesterday. You can't buy three weeks ago, three months ago. But we have to, to maximize their buying potential. We all need to be aware of that one big factor of your credit score. Plus, it doesn't hurt that you get a better score because guess what? There are job opportunities that require better scores and might be able to help you or a promotion. There's so many things that it can help you with if you're aware of what those situations. Any final words, Nathan? Yeah, I think it's very important to say restate what you just said. Everybody's looking at the average rates and how these average rates are changing over time for the industry. But your individual rate is going to be particular to you and specific to your credit score. So it's very important that you know how your credit score is either increasing or decreasing if you want to take advantage of rates at a certain time as opposed to a time when it's less advantageous. What a great time. Thank you so much. Again, find us at welcomehomeradio.net. Ask your questions there. We will try to get to them. We'll be notified. We we definitely encourage asking questions. I'm Blair Thomas. And I'm Tom Holm. I'm Alan Pace. God bless. We'll see you next time. Thank you. 